Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to um, everybody who is coming here. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Settle down now. Settle down now. It's time for my uh, my, my Jimmy Kimmel monologue. Um, Orange man bad. Please laugh now. And take a shot every time he makes a joke about the slap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. Um, the reason I did that specific intro today is because uh, we are doing our um, top 10 of the year uh, list here on, on Gold Derby Horses. Um, of course, of course, I'm George. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, um, um, this thing, um, uh, with everyone here, um, I am going to, uh, and I'm going to be helped in doing these, uh, these lists here, um, by, uh, none other than all of our, all of my friends, uh, Tristan French. Hello. Jared. Hey everyone. And uh Jasmine. Hello. Um, and we have some other, you know, um uh guests lists from people who are not on this podcast from uh Lester and Brett and uh our, our buddy Ashitaka. Um, and Jimmy Kimmel. We have his list too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Jimmy oh, Kimmel. I would love to see his um, list. Spoiler alert: um, Jimmy Kimmel's number one movie of the year is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> he says uh, he says uh, he can't he can't believe that uh, <laughs> the movie with eleven Oscar nominations this year ripped it off. <laughs> um, uh. Okay, no. Um, <laughs> I can't even joke about that. That's too bad. Um, Anyway, um, let's just get into it. Let's get into it here. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to do our, um, we're going to start with uh, honorable mentions and we'll say some things about them all. Um, And just from there, um, we'll go into 10 through 6. And then we'll do our five through one, but all individually, we just talk about whatever that movie is all um, individually. Let's go ahead and begin with, um, oh, who should we start with of uh, you three? Because I'm going last. Um, you know what? Let's start with Jared. Jared, you, you, you can go first. Awesome. So I have both um, Brett and Ashitaka's list as well, so I'll be reading theirs. Um, yeah, Gary for fun night. Grab that popcorn, everyone. <laughs> um, Brett's honorable mentions, I'm just going to do his six after his top ten, which are Strawberry Mansion, Pearl, Decision to Leave, The Batman, Bones and All, and Babylon. Um, Ashitaka's honorable mentions and wrote a little thing for each of them. He has Blue's Big City Adventure, and he writes, Keep in mind this movie's target demographic. This is way more charming than it has any right to be. And I just wanted to mention it because of that. The preschooler equivalent of the Muppets 2011 
fight me. He also has Prey, and he writes, why it was the best Predator movie, not to mention arguably the best film released under Disney last year, Banished to Hulu. A little penny for your thoughts there. Um, he has Top Gun Maverick, and he just writes, hi, George. <laughs> <laughs> um, Violet, and then his last honorable mention is Violet Evergreen Recollections, which is a 2022 North American release. And he wrote, watching this instead of the show should be a crime, but as a brief revisit, the emotional beats still hit, even if the greater context is missed. And then my honorable mentions, I have Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, which, I mean, Emma Thompson and Daryl McCormack give them their oscars please <laughs> but in all honesty it was sweet it was charming it had a very progressive message that i loved and um i know there's kind of little debates and quarrels about like oh people i'm like how this movie is like a play and i'm like i actually love that because i love a good just we're in this hotel room let's unravel these characters and see what makes them tick um, Cha-Cha Real Smooth just annihilated every early 20-year-old who has no clue what to do with your life. And so, of course, I had to mention it. Um, Dakota Johnson and Cooper Rafe are amazing. Um, Fire Island is that is quintessential studio big comedy that should that its biggest failure is that I wasn't in a theater on a packed summer night. You just have a ton of fun with these group of characters and this modern retelling Pride and Prejudice. Top Gun Maverick, I kind of disagree with what everyone's been saying. It's great. It's fun. Big Chets go fly. <laughs> um, Glass Onion um, has kind of gone downhill after its release in terms of buzz, but hey, I love a good murder mystery, especially one with a gay detective and Ryan Johnson behind the camera. And then my, my last honorable mention is Women Talking. Um, again, kind of um, feeding my niche of play-like story kind of takes mostly in this one location as a bunch of characters talk about what to do with their features and the brave, scary conversations, brave, powerful conversations these women have that really stuck with me. Awesome. And that is all. All right, let's move over to... Uh, let's move over to Tristan now, shall we? Uh, so honorable mentions, not number 10. Yeah, honorable mentions. Okay. Ooh, okay. Let me uh, run through a ton that I've got here. Um, okay, so Barbarian was definitely one of the most surprising movies I saw last year. Um, honestly, I never saw where that movie was going, and I thought it was just so well-directed and fun and just really weird and it doesn't play by the rules and I think that's really cool. A Girl Picture is a really underrated film I believe from Finland. Um, just really great dynamic between the three characters and it's just a great coming of age movie. Happening is an incredible um, French movie and in a world where um, you know we were dealing with the Roe v. Wade this year, Happening really hits hard. It's a, it's a beautiful film and it's really heartbreaking. Um, my old school is a really great documentary that I think a lot of people should see. It's super underrated, has a crazy story. Um, just, just a really fun ride. And one of my favorite movies from Sundance. Um, okay. So the Banshees of Anishirin, 
Uh, I know this one probably made a lot of other people's lists. It was close to making mine as well. Martin McDonough is a genius. He's such a great writer and he wrote a really rich story with great characters, great performances. I love the dynamic between Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Um, Niagara is a movie I'm sure no one here has seen. I watched it on a plane. It's a Quebec movie and it's totally bizarre and I love it. It's basically about um, these three brothers, estranged brothers that come back together after their their father has a heart attack from a uh, ice bucket challenge. Um, <laughs> it's really weird. Um, Broker is such a good movie. I feel like it's kind of been swept under the rug, but I, I really love Corita and I think that it's just a really heartwarming, great story. Uh, the Batman love uh, decision to leave is fantastic. Top Gun Maverick. On the count of three, she said, uh, the menu, after Sun, the woman king. What else do I have? It's such a great year for movies. Bros, Fresh, Crimes of the Future, Nope, Bullet Train. Um, yeah, I think that's probably it. Yes. Oh, so great, you guys. <laughs> I will do my, I guess, top 15. Um, so my 15 is Scream, which I like just recently watched the first Scream, and then I watched the fifth Scream until I heard the ones in the middle are extremely important. So, That's the same. <laughs> so I like loved the first Scream, honestly. One of the mo- one of the best openings of all time, hands down. One of the best openings of all time in the original Scream. And like I think the like last year's Scream, um, I think there's like minor issues with like I think the main character isn't like amazing. <laughs> I think Jenna Ortega should have been the main character. But like I love how it played with like toxic fandoms and stuff like that. And Jenna Ortega's fantastic in it. We love it. We we love the like boom she's had in being a stream queen. We love mm-hmm. this for her. Um, the Batman, which I just kicked out of my top ten. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Robert Benson. <laughs> but that was like a, a um really fun ride. Loved that. Um, Puss in Boots, which is better than that movie has any right to be. <laughs> this movie built this fucking talking cat from Shrek. It is so good. It deals with these like really difficult topics in a in a way that's gonna appeal to kids and and to to adults. And got me crying in a theater full of children on my twenty sixth birthday. So congratulations, Puss in Boots. Um, um, number twelve is Tar, which is just like one of the best movies of the year, Kate Blanchett gives just such a good performance in that and how it tackles like cancel culture and all of its other themes and stuff. Um and then my number eleven is Goodnight Oppie, which yes. is this movie about this little rover who's on Mars. Still there. He did his very best and I love this movie so much. Um He's like a little rover who was sent to Mars back in like the mid two thousands, and they he was only sent there for like ninety days, and he survived there for like ten years or something before he finally died, and we love this for him. <sighs> okay, so um, I will go ahead and I will first I'll do Lester's here because I have his here. Um, now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read off every movie he gave an eight or above to. Because you know, that's a because I don't don't know what else to do, and I'm like, you know, we like movies, so okay. So, starting at 
38 on his list, going to 11, which is 28 films. After Yang, X, 3,000 Years of Longing, Descendant, Close, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, Bodies, 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 Broker, Avatar, The Way of Water, Prey, Women Talking, No Bears, Marcella Show with Shoes On, Emily, She Said, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, The Whale, After Sun, Eo, The Menu, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, Barbarian, Pearl, um, The Batman, Nope, Elvis, Tar, and then number 11 is The Northman. As for me, listen, I saw 50 movies that were 8 out of 10 or above this year. Okay, 50. I, like, I, I watch a lot of movies, and it's like 50 out of 115. So almost half of my list I really like. So I'll just start at, um, at uh, 50. And um, we'll go up from, from there. So starting at 50, up to 11, 40, 40 honorable mentions for me. Strawberry Mansion, Broker, Emergency, All That Breathes, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, Atena, The Quiet Girl, Causeway, Close, the Woman King, Turning Red, Girl Picture, Argentina, 1985, Armageddon Time, Avatar The Way of Water, Puss in Boots The Last Wish, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, Vortex, Fire of Love, Moon Age Daydream, The Inspection, Santo Mer, Barbarian, On the Count of Three, Navalny, Bones and All, She Said, The Northman, The Batman, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Pearl, Holy Spider, After Yang, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, All Quiet on the Western Front, The Fablemans, RRR, Nope, and then at number 11, it was a tough decision, but at 11, is EO. And so those are my honorable mentions. Update. I have seen Please Baby Please and Living since the time of recording this episode and both films are now in my honorable mentions. All right. So now we okay. move to, to Jared for his 10 through 6. 10 through 6. Um, I'll go with Ashitaka's first. Um, and he wrote a little thing for each, so. This number 10 is House, The House on Netflix. And he said, love the unsettling, creepy vibe of it all and how the stories give you just enough of an idea of what's going on to follow. They also leave you in the dark enough to have your mind racing in an attempt to analyze and speculate on it all. And number nine, he has The Bad Guys um, from Netflix DreamWorks. Probably the closest I'm ever going to get to a good sci-copper movie. 
also probably the closest I'm ever going to get to a good non-anime within the third movie. Not the most original movie, but that's never really been an issue with me. I just had the biggest blast watching this. At number eight, he has Pompo the Cinephile, which got a 2022 North American release, so he's counting it. And he wrote, this might be one of those movies that I really enjoy that most would either pass off on a second thought or would immediately give a 6 out of 10 rating before even finishing it. I'm fine with that. This gives me the best of both worlds, the aesthetic and over-the-top nature of anime, as well as the as well the desire to tell stories and touch people through film. Also, I can't think of another movie that dedicates a full act to the process of painstakingly deciding what to keep and cut in the editing process of a film by way of a cinema paradiso fan. It is art. <laughs> At number seven, he has Sonic the Hedgehog 2. This is a movie that I know most people give a 6 out of 10 rating, but I don't care. Sonic reads a lot to me. Either Sonic 2 or 3 was my first video game. Sonic X was technically my first anime. The Sonic series is where I realized I actually really like stories and music. I'll always be fond of this franchise, and sure, the movies still have a long way to go before they can truly meet their potential. But even as it is, I can't help to smile on my face. <clears throat> and his number six is Everything Everywhere All at Once. This is my awkward inclusion where I don't have much to say. I find myself agreeing with much of what everyone else praises about the film, yet I don't find myself loving it as much, even if it made my top 10. I can say that even as an anime fan who is a sucker for the weird and convoluted, I can understand how this movie could be a little much for some people, and thus a turnoff. Still, I'm so happy this got the attention and acclaim it did. Not my number one, but one I'm happy to see be number one for so many others. Um, then moving on to Brett's list, his number 10 is Top Gun Maverick. He wrote, Tom Cruise saved summer blockbuster cinema with one of the most thrilling blockbusters of recent years. It's big, bold, and fun. And he also added a cool sunglass smiley face emoji. His number nine is After Sun, an emotional odyssey and a beautiful coming-of-age look at a summer vacation seared into memory forever. Questions of what could have been said, what could have been felt, and what could have been said. <laughs> I think you read that twice. <laughs> um, his eight is Tar. I didn't, he wrote, I didn't have to go pee during the entire runtime, which is a miracle for me. One of the most intricate scripts of the year and a career-best performance from Kate Blanchett a nuanced film tackling the complicated question of separating art from artist. His seven is RRR, generally the quickest three-hour movie ever made. It's massive, epic, sprawling, and fun. One of the most expertly crafted action films I've ever seen. And lastly, his number six is Marcel the Shell with Suzanne. I love nice core movies, and this one just won my heart. It also has a universal message about not letting fear box you into a life where you settle, but to get out of your comfort zones and explore life's complicated and messy feelings. Okay, now for my personal 10 through 6. At 10, I know it's one that when the trailer came out, there was kind of like a, oh, this movie, and then swept under the rug because it came out in December and award season and all that jazz but it is spoiler alert directed by Michael Showalter um, it's this very intricate romance that 
I don't know. It just feels like it doesn't come out very often. That's this romantic character say these two people, what makes them work, what doesn't make them work and who they are as long as, as well as the film doing little unique um, things that I don't want to spoil because I didn't know about the advertising let you know about it that relates to who they are that make the film that much more of an experience I just fell in love with all the way to its very heartbreaking conclusion that you could see coming even though you just really don't want it to. At number nine, I have a movie I guarantee you like no one has heard of unless they've heard me say it, but it's called Please Baby Please, directed by Amanda Kramer. It is, how, if I were to describe it, it is David Lynch met West Side Story and they made a very, very gay baby out of it. Um, and in terms of plot, it really is just this couple that sees a gang murder someone on their doorstep and just everything unraveling into this queer gender musical. It's a spectacular thing to watch and highly, highly, highly recommend. Um, at eight, I have Tar. I mean, what can be else can be said? It's Kate Blanchett just giving it her all. It's such an integrate performance and also the way the movie is like, hey, can we separate the art and the artists in the 2020s? Um, and is the Utah um, maestro or monster? Um, my number seven is Banshees of Inishirin. I loved the locale of the place and just the sharp wit and dry humor of the story coupled with the very human fear of not letting someone go and Jenny the donkey. <laughs> what else is to be said? Um, that hasn't been said already. Then last but not least, my six is Bones and All. I am a Luca Guadagnino stan until the end. I cannot wait to talk about Challengers next year. I'm already making my claim right here, right now. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll be honest with you guys. I don't see myself watching this again because I'm definitely not a horror fan when dealing with cannibalism. But at the same time, this is Luca Guadagnino somehow makes a movie with such a disgusting subject like this turn into something so romantic and passionate. Um, he stirs something in me that, that makes me want to be more romantic and go out into the world and embrace it and love and feel every single thing it has to feel. And his direction plus Timothy Chalamet and Taylor Russell um, deliver chills down your spine. And there's just, there's just a feeling that there's nothing else like it being made today. And then Mark Rylance is just going crazy <laughs> as Sully. So you have that book going for it. And voila, I will now bow out of the stage. All right. So now we move on to Tristan for his 10 to 6. Okay. So coming in at number 10 is a film that I saw at the Sundance Film Festival back in January. Um, it was definitely a movie that I never imagined would make my list before I saw it. Um, but 
it had a real profound impact on me and it stuck with me throughout the entire year. And I really do think it's one of the year's most underrated films. And I know Jared mentioned it earlier in his honorable mentions. It is Sophie Hyde's Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, um, or Grande. Um, this is a fantastic movie. It is so well-written and so well-acted. And Emma Thompson just gives one of the most unbelievable performances I've seen in a really long time. And her, probably her best since like the 90s when she was on that really great run. Um, she is a fantastic actress and the leaps she takes here are really impressive. Um, this is a movie about love and sexuality and wanting to explore sexuality, but um, as an older person, and we often don't see that, um when like sex and sexuality is discussed in a movie it's always with younger people but you know older people have desires too and to see that on screen is um really progressive and it's done in a really tasteful way it's um you know it it's just really tender and raw but also just it you know, it, it it never crosses the line, and it's I I think it's a a really great movie. Um, and Daryl McCormack is an absolute star. Like this guy should be the next James Bond. He's overflowing with charisma, and he's got great chemistry with um, Emma Thompson. And yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does next because I think he's fantastic. Um, coming in at number nine is a movie that has really gone like swept under the rug um i think last year um when we were doing our super early oscar predictions this was one that was all over our predictions and it's really been nowhere to be seen um but despite being technically failed oscar bait um i think this is one of the best movies of the year and that's james gray's armageddon time uh this premiered at Cannes to pretty good reviews and I think it's gained like a very small cult following of people who really love it. But for the most part, people didn't really take to this movie. And I don't quite get why. Um, James Gray, um, just like a lot of directors before him, um, basically tells a story about his childhood. But whereas a lot of these other filmmakers are telling very idealistic stories, this is one that almost looks at the past like um in an almost negative fashion uh where he's it's nostalgic but he's also showing um a lot of the what was wrong with that era and drawing parallels to Trump's America um through uh Ronald Reagan's America and um and some of the lessons that he he learned as a child through making mistakes and I think it's um, it's a movie that tackles a lot of topics, but it's able to juggle them really well. It's kind of uh, similar to Empire of Light, where that's a movie that juggles um, a lot of things like family and and well, that doesn't it, except it it's actually juggles good. a lot of yeah, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, I it feels like James Gray took a lot of what was going on during 2020 and put it all into script, like Sam Mendes did. But this actually feels like a coherent movie, whereas Empire of Light is just three separate movies and it's a total mess. Um, and yeah, I, I love the family dynamic. 
Uh, I think Banks Repetta is great. And um, the Anne Hathaway, Jeremy Strong, and especially Anthony Hopkins are amazing as this family. Um, yeah, just a really uh, great coming of age movie. Number eight is uh, Best Picture nominee, Triangle of Sadness and Palme d'Or winner. Um, Ruben Ostland hasn't really been a filmmaker that I've really taken to in the past. I'm not crazy about The Square, but I've always liked how bombastic his films are and, and a lot of the uh, the themes that he tackles. And I, I think he does a really great job doing that with Triangle of Sadness, which um, is kind of like a, a more European artsy don't look up. But whereas that movie is just very um, in your face and obvious, but also just like not self-aware, I feel like Triangle of Sadness is. Um, and I just love how crazy this film is. It's um, some of the stuff that happens and it will never leave my brain. And I, I think Ruben Ostland is just such a great writer and has such a sharp sense of humor and no one's really doing satire like him right now. Um, great movie, just a total blast. And I'm glad that it got nominated for Best Picture. Um, my number seven is a movie that's been mentioned quite a bit, RRR by S.S. Rajamuli. Um, this is a crazy movie as well. Um, it genuinely is something I've, I've never seen before. And um, the, the scope that... Raja Muli works with is like insane um but yeah I, I'm typically not a huge action movie fan but um the action set pieces here are incredible and the the musical numbers are great and I think everything is weaved together perfectly um just a really fun movie and, and one that's unpredictable at every turn uh and then my number six is uh Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and I I, I love Guillermo del Toro. Um, I love how his brain works and how he makes these um, these fantasy films and integrates dark themes into them. And usually his fantasy films are more adult. While uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio definitely can appeal to adults, I feel like this is one that's teetering on being a family movie, but also something a little darker, kind of like Coraline. We haven't seen a movie like that in a while, or at least an animated movie. Um, the stop motion is beautiful. The The existential themes that he explores are fantastic and just really compelling. And um, yeah, I, I love his take on Pinocchio. I, I think he, he breathes so much life and depth into the movie and I mean, into that story. And uh, it's really beautiful. So yeah, that's my 10 through six. All right. So now let's hear from Jasmine about her 10 through six. Well, this is going to around like a little over weary, because figuring out your like favorite movies or theater is very hard, especially when you see like a lot of movies. Um, my number 10 is All Quiet on the Western Front, which I did have the privilege of seeing in a movie theater near me. Um, highly recommend. It is so good on a big screen. I think George has seen it on, in a movie theater. And Tristan, did you see the test? I did, yeah. Okay, yeah. It is amazing on a big screen. The tech, like the sound work is so good in that movie. Um I actually haven't seen the like 1931. I and I haven't read the book, but I really liked the like 
I thought like the message of it was great. The the way that it showed like anti-war and it is like a very like true anti-war movie. Um and um Felix can't pronounce his name, but the lead actor is fantastic. And I definitely want to see him in more of his stuff. I know that people who are big fans of the book actually don't like this because it's not a great adaptation I've heard. But like for what it is, and as someone who isn't familiar with the source material, um, I think it's great. I'm really glad that Netflix kind of kind of finally caught on, and like really like pushed, started to push this movie towards Best Picture. Um, but my number nine, the number one of all of our hearts, is Poor Decision to Leave. <laughs> Poor movie. Um, I also saw this at a film festival. I did leave the movie very confused this was my first part channel movie um but i loved the the like mystery and like the intrigue that these two characters have towards each other and like the twists and turns of the plot um i definitely need to watch the movie again because i did leave the movie confused and immediately message a friend i think i was george and i asked about the movie because i kind of did because it is kind of a movie that you need to watch multiple times but um it's fantastic i'm so excited to dive into more park channel movies and like the actors are amazing like park Kyle and tangway should have been oscar contenders and park definitely should have been like winning but and i'm still very sad this did not get nominated <laughs> for international features but that's okay it's fine they'll realize the errors are late. it's not fine <laughs> <laughs> it's okay um number eight is Jordan Peele's Nope. This such a good movie. And I actually saw this with a friend of mine who isn't like a massive massive like movie buff like us. She's like a normal person. Um <laughs> but we both like absolutely love this movie. Like I think Daniel Kaluuya is great. Kiki Palmer is like fantastic. Um I loved the way the two storylines like weave in together, even though a lot of people are like the monkey storyline doesn't make any sense, but like if you actually pay attention to the movie, the monkey storyline does make sense. It's it's giving the little women like, oh, I can't distinguish the two timelines. Feel <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the storyline they do make sense. Yeah, if you really think about it, and like it's like kind of messages on like spectacles and and like gazing and stuff. So, but it's so good. Um, I. I think this is my favorite Jordan Peele. Um, so really, really good. Also, great time. Super sad. This did not get the love it deserved this award season. Um, my number was number seven is Fire of Love, which I saw like I think like last year. <laughs> Some dance at this point, which was a really long time ago. Um, this I unfortunately actually haven't seen on a big screen. I've heard it, I think, do you think it plays very well? I've heard it plays very well on a big screen. Um, but it's just a very, like, like, sweet documentary about these, um, scientists who study volcanoes or are trying to teach people about their love and passion for volcanoes and for the earth and on wanting to, um, just others to understand it. Very beautiful documentary. And some really good narration. I can't remember who does it, but it's some very good nar- uh, narration. Uh, um, and my number six is I think I'm the only one here who actually likes this movie. 
but um, my number six is The Fallout, which I saw a very long time ago, um, back in 2021. This was a Dark Pearls debut by Megan Park of Secret Lake of the American Teenager. Um, this is where I actually know Jenna Ortega from, but it's the, like, the aftermath of a school shooting. I think it is done so well and how it captures this kind of like confusion and angry times and it was like really emotional times following such a tragedy and kind of not really knowing what to do but really bonding with someone who are like some people over this like really traumatic event um i thought it was super super well done um i know i'm the only one here who i think likes it but so good jenna ortega is fantastic and a complete standout and Maddie Ziegler is a good actress. <laughs> she is very good in this. She's wronged by music, but she's very, very good in this. But those are mine. Okay. So I guess we're on to to me now. Um, first, I'll just go with Lester's ten to six here. Um, he did not write any blurbs for these. So you'll just have to read his reviews, I guess. Uh, but his number 10 is The Fablemans. His number nine is Babylon. His number eight is Top Gun Maverick. His number seven is Scream. And then his number six is The Banshees of Inisharan. Um, as for me, my number 10 is All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, um, the documentary by Laura Poitras, director of Citizen Four, about Edward Snowden. Um, this one is about uh, Nan Golden, who is a uh, photographer um, uh, who, and also an activist. She has led multiple protests against the Sackler family, who, who which is, a, for those who don't know, a giant philanthropist um, billionaire family that um, has uh, mainly um, been involved in the uh, pharmaceutical industry and specifically, you know, opiates. They are considered largely responsible for the opioid epidemic. Um, which is something that uh, Nan Goldman was directly affected by. And the film analyzes both her work as a, as a photographer and as an artist, and also um, as an activist. And it takes a lot of um, steps to show that art and activism and uh, politics are often one and the same, and they often intersect and um there's truly no separating them um in certain instances and uh the movie is just like i think brilliantly um put together um and, and edited the editing in the film is uh, i would say pretty fantastic um and i think uh the interviews in the film are all um, very 
captivating in part because Nan Golden is a very interesting speaker. She has this very certain, she has this, you know, um, very so soft voice and sometimes her tone is passive, but um, she has a certain X factor where like, you know, whenever she speaks, I'm incredibly invested in what, what, whatever she's saying. And so I think, um, you know, that's part of what makes this documentary so beautiful. It is a very well-edited documentary with the way it connects these intersecting storylines regarding her art and, you know, her life and, you know, um, certain uh, troubles that she had growing up and also the troubles that she's had with uh, opiates and the story of her protesting the Sackler family um, in a way that I think is done absolutely masterfully. It is um, by far and away my favorite documentary of the year. And I think it is um, just uh, an astounding film. And it makes my number 10 here. Uh, my number nine, I believe I am the only person of this group to see this film. Um, but a lot of other people have seen the film. It was on the Oscar shortlist for Best International Feature, though it was not nominated. Um, and that is Return to Seoul. Uh, it was Cambodia's submission for, for the category. Um, it is a movie where, um, despite the fact that the poster looks like it's, uh, <laughs> makes the movie look like an action film, um, it's actually truly a story about uh, a woman who was adopted from South Korea and raised in France, who goes to um, South Korea to discover her family name, and it deals well discover her to 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 meet her her biological family, and it's about you know a sense of identity in how she teeters the line between Western and um korean is she french is she korean is she both is she neither you know certain questions and posits like that um and i think this whole film works in large part because of the performance by park Ji-min, who i believe gives her first performance ever in this film which is just like I, I mean, I, I that that's that's very remarkable, and she gives an incredibly remarkable performance in it. Um, in a way that is very, you know, honest and just um, absolutely um, heartbreaking in a lot of ways. She doesn't scream or cry or anything like that, but she really um, delivers um, a lot with just her facial expressions even. Um, and the movie is also um, very well directed and well written and it has a lot of, it very successfully explores themes of like searching for your identity and um, truly like who are you in this world and uh, it's a done in a way that you know one of my favorite filmmakers edward yang would do his films and that's of course some that that's that gets automatic points for me if you 
make a movie that's like Edward Yang and it's actually good. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very incredible movie. It's in theaters now. So if you have the chance to go see it, please go see it. Absolutely incredible film. Um, number eight is Babylon, <laughs> which uh, I, I mean, it's uh, I need to see it again, but I think it will it could probably go up on a repeat viewing. And I think it also is like, you know, potentially Damien Chazelle's best film. Um, I, I'm not going to justify that right now, but I think it is a, <laughs> um, it, it's kind of an insane movie. It's three hours long and none of it feels rushed or dragged. <laughs> like it doesn't drag. It doesn't rush. Um, it is absolutely batshit insane. And um, I think the um, the film has uh, a lot to say about ambition and about fame and about um, filmmakers' place in the film industry and like what 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 are film what is your place as a as a director. As someone who is involved in the, in the history of film, and you know how can you, like what 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 how can you impact it and all these things, and just like how cinema in a lot of ways is destroyed and then rebuilt, um, which kind of plays into the title of the movie Babylon, um, and it is. Um, uh, what was I saying? Um, it has a lot to say about the um, the state of film, especially for that time. And uh, of course, like it has the most um, amazing score I've heard all year all year round. Um, I mean, just insane. It's got the like most elaborate production design I've seen in maybe any movie ever. It's um got really, really astonishing uh, cinematography. I do not know how this was a more in the conversation for cinematography. It is actually mind-boggling to me. Um, and I mean, overall, Really amazing ensemble. Cannot wait to see what Diego Calva um, does next. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, love it. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven is a movie that um, Tristan, I think, mentioned in his honorable mentions is that's happening um a movie that premiered in 2021 but it um I'm, I'm counting it as 2022 um it's a film that uh, is um quiet it is a film that you know has a similar story 
two films with a of its type it's done a similar way you know about about you know a woman who gets a secret abortion and things like that um it is similar in certain ways to films like never rarely sometimes always and four months three weeks two days and Vera drake that are about um those things but um what i think this movie understands first and foremost is that these stories have to be told over and over again because a lot of people still just cannot accept um, certain things. Uh, you know, it is also made in a very artful and sensitive way um, in regards to um, how uh, the film handles uh, those those themes. Um, the cinematography is simple. It's not showy in any you know serious sense of the word. Uh, but it is very effective in what it in what it's doing, especially given the aspect ratio. Um, which is a four by three and um, it makes the ending of the movie much more impactful. Uh, and I think uh, Audrey Diwan, uh, her direction of the film is, was very overlooked and I would very much have liked to see her in more um, conversations. Same with the film's lead actress, um, Anna Maria Vardalome, I believe is how you pronounce her name. Um, she did an excellent job. Uh, similarly to Park Jimen, very subtle work um, uh, for the most part. Um, and she uh, fully delivered on a great performance. <sighs> Um, that's very quiet, but also like, again, do you can read so much into it, even though it is a very quiet um, film. And uh, yeah, I mean, just just a really excellent movie that got very, um, very, very overlooked, uh, unfortunately. Um, and then my number six movie is uh, Women Talking, another movie that... <laughs> apparently just being incredibly overlooked even though it has the best ensemble of the year um featuring so many great performances from people like Claire Foy and Rudy Mara and Jesse Buckley and uh Ben Wishaw and all these other um actors um but of course, you know, it, it is tough to pick a favorite for a lot of people. My personal favorite is actually Rudy Mara. Um, but, you know, that's not exactly a popular opinion. Um, I think what Sarah Polly does with the writing specifically, it is a very dynamic film um, in terms of its characters and its dialogue. Uh, specifically, its characters, like the way that, the way that she is able to examine um, 
everyone's perspective in the film and uh, really fully bring out the character in everybody. Like, like the phrase, like, you can empathize with, with both sides gets tossed around a lot in a very kind of cliche way. But I think I can actually unironically say that with this film because of how sensitively Sarah Polly actually handles it. Um, it's the best adapted screenplay of the year. I do not know what other people who don't um, give it that award are doing. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say it. I, I don't think the color palette's that bad. I really don't. Um, you know, maybe it, it, it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing, but it is certainly better uh, than something like, uh, you know, Suicide Squad or any of the other DC, you know, Snyderverse um, movies. Um, and it actually has a purpose to the story. And I think it's effective in its purpose here. Um, and of course the score by um, Hildur Gnodotir. Um, I mean, it, it's one of the best scores of the year. Um, truly amazing work. Uh, on her part, and overall, a really outstanding film that, you know, even though it got a Best Picture nomination, is very much not gotten the love that it deserves. Um, and it makes me a little upset, but, you know, what, what, what can I do? What can I do about it? Except try to get people to watch it. All right, well, that's my 10 through 6. Um, now let's hear for, from, from Jared, starting with number five. Wow. <clears throat> so, as we talk about this, number five is Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. And Rise is a Netflix movie acting as a series finale to a divisive, more comedy-focused take on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I know right going this hard, but I'm glad it did. This is my favorite Ninja Turtles movie and was my vote for 2022's excellent Into the Spider-Verse up until the end of the year. And we're just doing fives, right? Yeah, just yeah. five. Okay. Um, Brett's five is The Banshees of Inishirin. And he wrote, I love the dry British humor of this movie, but it really makes the film stand out from its contemporaries. It's the film's way of tackling the need and desire of companionship and how hard it is to let go of someone you've built your life with. Um, and then my number five is a movie that um, had a great reactions out of TIFF and got a lot of people hyped and then came to theaters and was utterly destroyed and, and torn apart by the internet very unfairly in my, from, in my opinion. And that is Nicholas Stroller's Bros., it is a movie that you that like doesn't get seen a lot, doesn't get 
made a lot or seen a lot, especially for the big screen. And it's very scary to think that after this, it won't. But that doesn't help that this movie still got made. It's still available for you to watch. It is this very charming um, big studio rom-com between these two gay men, um, which is like the first of its kind. Um, I just love anything that's warm-hearted, that's it manages to have such a full heart. You know, the movie starts so very raunchy and very R-rated, but then it kind of just peels back all those hard layers to some, to reveal something that's very warm. And it ends happily. It ends with a musical number. Um, it's everything I could ever really want from a movie. And both leads are hot. So <laughs> that's another plus for me. But yeah, it's just this is just for as a lover of the rom-coms and and gay stuff. I absolutely fell head over heels for bros. Um, I hate the reception it got, but hopefully more more people check it out as it lies on streaming and on airplanes and all that jazz and choose to love it as well. All right. And uh, we're back to Tristan here for his number five. Ooh, interesting. Okay. My number five. All right, so George is not going to be happy about this one. Brett probably won't either, but he's not here, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> I know what this okay. is. I already know. I do know what I, it is. All right, so to be fair, let me preface this by saying when this movie initially premiered, everyone loved it. Not everyone, but a large majority of people were really taken by this movie. And I don't know was, about that. I don't know about that. No, the, Wait, the, theater, movie? <laughs> the theater was electric. The, the like movie? people were bawling their eyes out. I don't know whale. about that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I love the movie, and even I don't have it on high. I leave it at twenty four. The whale is one of Darren Aronofsky's best movies. Yeah, and... More like one of his worst. <laughs> no, it is. I oh, respect. So I also good. really love the whale. So I thank you, Jasmine. <laughs> Um, yeah, so a lot of people don't like this movie. They find it stagey or melodramatic. Um, I it's I was bad. really taken by this movie. A lot of people on film Twitter don't like it. Very specifically, with general audiences, it is playing very well. Yeah. Um, okay. A very like, small minority of do not like this movie. I get some of the complaints. I'm not going to act like this is a perfect film but um i think darren aronofsky has always really done a great job at taking really difficult um subject matter and like subject matter that most filmmakers wouldn't tackle and um really diving into it and i think he does that with the whale um, it's a heartbreaking story with an absolutely brilliant performance by Brendan Fraser in the center of it. Um, he just conveys so much with his eyes and there's so much pain behind there. And it's just such a fascinating character and, and an interesting role for him um, because he's he's been through so much, but he's also an actor that's never been really given this chance to go 
there emotionally. Like often he's in family movies or comedies or films where he doesn't really, um, he, he's not really given, um, you know, a, a really weighty role. And here he's really able to um, just dig into it. And he, he gives one of the best performances I've seen in a really long time. Um, and he's surrounded by an incredible cast of people. Um, Sadie Sink is fantastic. Hong Chao is brilliant. Um, and I just, I really found this film to be um, just really an emotional ride. And I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I think it's really empathetic and well-written, well-acted. Um, it does kind of feel like a play, but I often love that where you just put a couple actors in a room, give them, you know, a, a scenario to play with and just watch them go. And and that's really what this is. It's, it's a bunch of actors on the top of their game with really deep subject matter. And it's, um, it's fantastic. All right. Well, I guess we're on to, um, Jasmine, it looks like bad takes hours ended. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> my number five is also the world. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh my, my god! Is, my number is Elvis. <laughs> oh god! And it really never ended. <laughs> no, my number five is also. So many of these movies I have not seen in like a year or two years. <laughs> my number five is Navalny. Um. I saw it at Sundance last year, right? Yeah, Sundance last year, um, and obviously, like Navalny was pretty everything with like the Ukraine, but as someone who went into this documentary knowing like literally nothing about it except that everyone says like the phone call scene is like was just like one of like the best scenes they'd ever seen in a movie at Sundance because like the way that the tension is like is in that scene, you're just kind of left on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen the entire time. But I thought the documentary was really good in kind of talking about people who want to like fight against corruption in the Russian government. Um, I think uh, Alexei Navalny, if I pronounce his name, um, I think he, he's like a really interesting character. Um, and it's a very like the documentary about definitely not giving up hope um and kind of encouraging people to fight against unjust governments um i think it's a very accessible documentary um probably a little more accessible than fire of love which i know people who have watched it and have did find it a little boring um but i think this kind of has enough stuff that will appeal to the general audience um, and does it go in super, super, super deep in terms of a kind of like Russian politics that it'll, it'll, it'll bore people. So really, really good documentary. It'll be a very worthy winner of the Academy Award if it, if it, if it wins. So and there's also a line about Visual. how he knows, knows TikTok more than his daughter, which I thought hilarious. So, <laughs> which means he knows TikTok better than I do, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Okie dokie. All right, so let's move on to um, my number five here. Of course, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention real quick. Uh, Lester's number five here is Turning Red. Um, 
But my number five is a, a film that has already been referenced more than once uh, in this uh, episode, and that is The Banshees of Sharon. Um, of course, pending my eventual rewatch of In Bruges, I think this is McDonough's best film. Um, it is a uh, very deliberately paced um, movie in terms of its, um, you know, it, it's its story and how it's setting up this um, allegorical um, uh, story about. <laughs> it's it's set on a, on the backdrop of the of the Irish Civil War and it is a um it almost serves as an allegory for that between its uh, its characters here played by Colin Farrell and uh, Brendan Gleeson um and it, and it, it it kind of tells you know the story of like you know just very petty um rivalries and you know it kind of takes time to analyze you know is this really a good reason to have this um to have this argument to have this divide um between these these two characters and how much damage will that ultimately cause because of its you know inherent pettiness um on both sides of this conflict um and i think it is a very um brilliantly written film in that regard and how it um uh sets up the uh themes and uh, certain things like that and um you know, for people who say, uh, oh, I don't understand why he cut his fingers off, um, kindly fuck off because <laughs> um, it, it is made very clear in the movie why he did this. Um, uh, and But there's a lot of other themes of the film that are very interesting to sit there and kind of dissect. Um, it's one of the most uh, fun films to dissect in, in that regard. It's not really a fun movie, but it's a film that like is interesting to dissect in that way. Um, I think the ensemble here is pretty incredible. Colin Farrell gives, I think, probably the best performance I've ever seen him give. And I am saying that as someone who is a, a fan of his. Um, I love um, Brendan Gleeson's performance in the film as well. Um, he is a very, um, he is another one of, one of those actors who is able to convey a lot with um, body movements and facial expressions. And he does that um, very masterfully here. Um, Barry Keegan, um, of course, has that great uh, scene by the lake that went viral. Um, but even beyond that, he's also just, you know, a, he also gives a really funny performance. Like, he's actually, like, genuinely funny comic relief. Um, and there's also a certain um, poignancy to his character uh, that uh, is really interesting to dissect and look into. Um, and, of course, uh, Carrie Condon um, gives a really great uh, performance as well of course you know 
the scene where she screams, you're all feckin' boring, um, is iconic, but um, she has a lot of really um, quiet, um, you know, moments as, uh, as well. She's not exactly like a sassy character, but she has a lot of, um, you know, her own little quirks. And I think she, the, the way she um, taps into them as an actor is really, um, um, is, is really brilliant. Um, and, that, you know, I also want to talk about um, this movie's cinematography, which has been a bit um, overlooked. It has a lot of really um, beautiful landscape shots of uh, Ireland and the you know the Irish countryside and what well, it's specifically this island that they shot the film on um and I and I really like the shots of the water in this film specifically it's you know one of the films that has a lot of great cinematography involving water um I really like that and and I really like uh, the score by Carter Burwell um who I mean between you know this and and also Carol um, he's he's doing some of the best film scores in the in, in the business today, and I, I I really hope he um he gets more recognition because his scores are always fantastic. And the score is you know no exception. It's a very subtle, quiet score, but it is a very but it's one that I I, I really like and, and find very memorable. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my number five. Banshee's been to Sharon. It's uh. Fantastic movie. And now we return to Jared for number four. Number four. For Ashitaka, he has, this is number four, The Batman. And he writes, it's a blend of so many things I love about Batman. I just love this movie. I I don't even have anything particular to say other than y'all won't be able to handle me if the sequel is even better. Um, Brett's number four is The Northman, a complete adrenaline rush of a movie. I haven't seen a film this visceral in theaters since Mad Max Fury Road. But Jork is also a Viking witch, so it's the coolest movie ever made. And then my number four has got to be my man Jordan Peele's Nope. Uh, it just is so many things that we could do a so many different things and themes that we can do a whole workshopping humanity about. Um, I agree with everything Jasmine kind of said earlier about this movie. It's just so good. Um, the fact that like, okay, I can take with it not being like a best picture contender or whatnot, but the fact that it's not even like a sound contender or a, just a technical Criminal. contender is mind boggling to me. Criminal. Exactly. Um, and just the perfect movie to go see in a theater when it's hot. Um, and you have Kiki Palmer, Dan Kluya, and Brandon Para, um, just being great as this group trying to get this alien, which is so masterfully done. Um, the scene where Dan Kaluuya is like on the horse and Jean Jacket like slowly kind of like depends on him, descends on him and he's trying not to look. 
Um, it just gives me a lot of just Spielberg vibes that he's trying to recreate while also while Jordan Peele also tangles together um, themes of sensationalism and society's um, needs to turn to like horror and shock and tragedy and how we deal with it especially in an age to quote um, David Elric's kind of review of like an age where we can look up a police um, officer's body cam um, while he shoots someone how are we reacting to tragedy and just can't I really do need to rewatch this film and appreciate just all the marvelness of it all um, I'll always be on this film and just so appreciative of every single moment of it just like every single film that I've talked about but um, Nope has an awe and horror that I still can't shake a couple months after All right, uh, we're, we're, we're back to Tristan now. Back to me for number four. Um, okay, so ooh, what do I go with? Okay, I'm going to do, yeah. All right, so this movie is definitely better than my, my number three. But I have more of a personal attachment to my number three, so we'll we'll go with this. Um, okay, so I think Tar is a masterpiece. Um, that is my number four. It's been what sixteen years since Todd Field came out with uh, his last movie, and for most directors who take that lengthy of a hiatus, um, you expect them to be a little rusty. But Todd Field came through with easily his best film to date. Um, I really enjoy his early work, and I think that um, he was a really promising filmmaker, but it's clear that he didn't just take off this time and do nothing with it. He was slowly crafting his masterwork, and, and Tar is a film that feels so modern, and at the same time, I feel like the messages that it tackles are going to be timeless. Um, but as uh, I think Jared mentioned earlier, um, it is a film that really tackles the question, um, should we separate the art from the artist? And provides us with the protagonist being this brilliant person, but also a monster. And just one of the most fascinating film characters we've seen in a while. Kate Blanchett is outstanding in this movie, and she's one of the best actresses we've ever seen. But this is her her best performance, hands down. Um, she gives it her all, and she's on every single frame of this film and just commands it. Um, she's a force to be reckoned with and, and turns this character into um, just someone that you hate but also can't take your eyes off of it's it's a brilliant film brilliant performance fantastic screenplay um just one of the most in intellectual uh films of the decade so far and i really hope that todd field comes through with another film sooner rather than later just because he really is one of the best voices in filmmaking we have right now and um 
Tar is is a flawless movie. All right. Uh, so now we're back to uh, Jasmine here. Number four, uh, let's go. Um, so my number four is a movie that quite a few people have mentioned, I think, on their honorable mentions. Um, but um, I, mean, I think I'm the only one who has it uh, in like the top five. Is My number four is Girl Picture, which I saw um, at, also at Sundance a very long time ago. But I reviewed it again back in August when it got its proper release. And I, I love everything about this movie. I think the dynamics between all like all three of the girls and the two girls who are like best friends are so well done in the stories that handles and how each of the characters feel like real and like individual people, like the girlfriend of one of them doesn't just feel like she's there for the plot. <laughs> She actually has her own storyline and her own character and like I love that um I think there's like a couple screenplay issues that comes naturally when you have like a trio and two of them are dating and and I think that it could have focused on the third one a little bit better but I think talking about like a, like a young girl attempting to figure out like sexuality and what she likes and what she wants in sex I think is something you don't really see in movies very often <clears throat> and so I really liked seeing that on screen and other people and other friends that I have really not knowing what you want and what makes you like feel good it was, was something that they really appreciated and I think really needs to be explored in films more um and I always love movies with very casual queer relationships where like coming out and queerness isn't part of the storyline. It's just it's just in the story and it's just there naturally. Um, I think more movies need to do this. Not that I don't love like coming out stories because I think they're obviously still super important, but <clears throat> I think casual these casual like kind of queer relationships also I think are just as important to show it to like quote unquote like normalizing it within media and within movies itself. So fantastic movie. Highly recommend it and watch it. So likewise to Tristan, um my number four here is Tar. Um and I can't really disagree with anything that he that he said there. It's a um really masterfully crafted film. Um, on Todd Field's part, um, and also features a really astonishing uh, lead performance from Kate Blanchett. But I think uh, a certain aspect of this movie that's not quite talked about enough is the sound design of the film, um, which is um, I think is it's very intricate. Of course, pe people have talked about you know how the um the sound of the music is mixed in of course during the rehearsal scenes and also how a lot of these sound effects of the film are um caked into the world of the film through the, um, through the sound design and the, and the rhythm is um a lot of it sounds like rhythms like when she is working out for example um 
but something that is um, uh, that that really took me is the control of volume in certain points. Um, I and like how certain parts of the sound design are kind of emphasized in a, in a way. Um, so um, for one, you have a scene from, you have the scene um, in, in Juilliard. Of course, you know, everyone talks about that scene and like how, you know, oh, she destroyed that liberal cuck. Um, and also the, the 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 fact that it's a one take scene or it's a simulated one take scene. I don't exactly know. I don't remember which. Um, but um, the sound of that scene is interesting. Um, for one, like the emphasis this the sound designers put on um, the student's uh, leg bouncing up and down during certain moments um, was something I took notice of. Um, but also um, the um, sound that Lydia is speaking and how it is, you know, echoing. Which of course, you know, it's a it's a big room, and there's very few people in that room, um, which is you know ultimately what would cause the echo. But something about the echo felt more emphasized to me, and maybe this is me reading into it too much, but it almost feels like the echo felt emphasized in a way where it's like you know it always comes back to her, and then like. The thing that she's talking about, how you know, we shouldn't be looking into the private lives of these iconic composers, and we should respect them for their music, um, and judge them on their 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 work, their merit. Um, how that ultimately um, comes back to her, and how it. Um, bites her in the ass ultimately and that might be you know again me reading into it a little bit too much but i but that's something that i think you know is interesting to um to to, to talk about and that uh, we um something we should uh be thinking about and i think you know after this it's it might be my like my personal sound winner for the year just in terms of how it is so effective at presenting the world of lydia tar and you know this is the perspective of Lydia Tarr, well, with some other you know bits of foreshadowing. It's another one of those fun you know movies to dissect, um, um, and, and trying to look into things like you know, um, the ghost of Krista Taylor appearing in the background of certain shots. Um, you know, what did the flashing intercut um, 
shots that happen every once in a while in the movie. What do those mean? You know, what does the, um, you know, what do these things, you know, ultimately mean? And I think it's a very, a very rich, you know, cheesy film that you could do the meat of the plot. Um, that's me imitating a, um, a, a, a YouTuber I saw once. Though the movie he he was talking about in that context was actually Godzilla versus Kong, which is really, which is really funny to me. Um, but anyway, it's a long tangent. Yeah, Tar. Um, just using this as an excuse to talk about something that um, not a lot of people talk about in regards to this film, and I think it deserves a lot more recognition. And you know, for all the um, crazy shit BAFTA pulled this year. I am very glad that they nominated this for sound. Um, so anyway, we're down to the top three, everyone, and uh, we're back to... Uh, wait, 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 wait. I almost forgot. Um, Lester's number four is a Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. Okay. <laughs> Now we go to number three uh, with Jared. Okay, number three for Ashitaka is Nope. Getting a lot of Nope love today in this episode. I'm loving it. He writes, I argue this is one of the most underappreciated films of the year. Everyone pointed to Top Gun Maverick as the film to remind people why they love movies. I wouldn't dare take that away from anyone, but I'd make the argument for Nope instead. This feels like a script that was destined to become a classic, but got put on hold for decades due to lacking technology. Now it's here, and I'd argue it's this generation's Jurassic Park every day of the week. For Brett's number three of the year, it's Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And he writes, as well as being the biggest spectacle blockbuster of the year, sorry, Avatar and Top Gun, Puss in Boots had one of the best generalized depict- best depictions a generalized anxiety I've seen on film. And then my number three is the movie that literally took film Twitter, general audiences, um, the Academy, everyone by storm. Um, and the film that just when we look back 20, 50 years from now, we think of the 2020s, we're going to think of a film made by Two Daniels, um, everything everywhere all at once. Um, I just will always remember being sitting in the theater. I remember reclining seat, being like, "Oh, oh, they're doing that. Oh, so so a twenty four really just did not give them a single studio note. Like they actually let these two guys do what they need to do. Like I'm literally watching." two rocks talk to each other <laughs> on a cliff through subtitles talking about how like nothing matters but because of that everything matters and oh now Jamie Lee Curtis is in a relationship with Michelle Yeoh in a hot dog finger world but it also is so emotional and telling a story of this family that's affected by this universe multi-bending tale. Um, it's kind of just hard to talk about because everyone's been talking about it, so it's hard not to pick out like what's so great about it because everything is so great, and it's just one of those things where it's like 
if you haven't watched it yet, um, highly recommend stopping this podcast. No, <laughs> after you finish this podcast, um, check it out. Highly, highly recommend. But at the same time, if you're a film fan, I don't think you would not have heard of this little movie that could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we move on to uh, Tristan for his number three. All right. So um, my number three is definitely a movie that's not going to be as high on most people's lists. Um, it is not necessarily one of the most innovative or well-crafted films of the year, but it's certainly one of the ones that touched me the most. And uh, I'm a big fan of this guy. Um, it is Cooper Rafe's Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which um, premiered at the Sundance Film Festival last year and was the big hit out of that mo- out of that festival. Um, Cooper Rafe just blows me away every time he's come out with two movies at this point. And both of them are films that I watched at like the exact right point in my life. Um, Shit House, I watched um, in 2020, just as I was finishing um, up college and going on to my master's. And a lot of what it touched on, I was going through at the time. And the same thing happened with Cha Cha Real Smooth. And I'd argue it had an even more profound impact on me. It, it really changed the tide of my year and kind of my mindset going into that year and a lot of what I accomplished that year I don't know if I necessarily would have if I didn't um take the lessons that I learned from cha-cha real smooth and, and apply them to my life um but it's a really powerful and funny and just authentic film about being in your 20s at this point in uh, like mid-20s at this point in your life where you had just just finished school and are trying to figure out what you want to do in your life. And you're, you have one foot into adulthood and the other foot into like, you're still trying to figure out who you are. And, you know, other films have explored that before. Um, But what makes this really special is that Cooper is 24 years old and he's, he's coming at it from the perspective of someone going through all of this Um. And it feels just so authentic and down to earth. And he, he's really able to um, relate to people in their 20s in a way that um, a lot of other filmmakers aren't because he's living that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a great movie. Uh, I love Dakota Johnson in this. I think she has great chemistry with uh, Cooper. Cooper is a great actor too. I know a lot of people aren't, aren't really into it because they find it a bit too twee or Sundance core or whatever, but Honestly, I, I find um, a lot of those films tend to have a lot of depth and really portray uh, life in, in an interesting way. And, and Cha-Cha Real Smooth definitely does. So I, I love this movie. And yeah, my number three of the year. All right. Uh, now we're on to uh, uh, Jasmine here. Uh, so my number three is a movie that I think George had on his list. Um, I think it was an honorable mention on the others. My number three is Woman Talking, mm-hmm. um, which is a fantastic movie. Also, I can see this movie on the big screen at a film festival of mine. Um, I think it is like one of the best written movies of the year. I haven't read the book because I don't read. <laughs> so I haven't read any of the book adaptations of anything on my list. But um, I think um, just the dialogue and the way that it, it tackles it's, it's really its subject matter 
is fantastic. The color grading is not that bad, people. <laughs> Thank you. Yourselves. Thank you. It's not that bad. Thank you. <laughs> it is perfectly fine. <laughs> people get over themselves. <laughs> um, I think it has some fantastic performances. Clairefoy and Jesse Buckley both should have been nominated for this. Straightforward. They are fantastic. Clairefoy is my supporting actor winner of the year. Um, I just think it like handling this kind of idea of reclaiming autonomy and and freedom and kind of even this discussion of like they have to like think for themselves and make kind of have their own ideas and opinions after if they get free and this um I like what they did with Ben Wishaw's character because I know that he was the narrator in the book, but that obviously would be a little weird in a movie about women. Um, but his character and his like little relationship with Rooney Mars, very cute. Um, but yeah, even Princess McCormick's like three, I think she's three minutes of screen time in this movie or something like that. Great, 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 great three minutes from Academy Award winner Princess McCormick, who I think a couple of people thought she was going to get Academy Award for this one. We had not seen the movie, but um great movie i i'm really glad that it made best picture that was like the best surprise of the year i think yep is it making the best picture and hopefully it wins an epic screenplay it like should be going home with the award but like it's fine fingers fine. crossed it's fingers crossed fingers crossed okay um so my, my number three of the year it was a bit of a tough decision here. Not not between my number one. My number one has been pretty solid all year. Um, but between this and number two, and I decided for number three, I'm gonna go with Decision to Leave, which was my most anticipated movie of the entire year. Um, for people who you know, know me, um, Park Chan Wook is my fucking guy. Um, the Handmaiden is one of my top uh, 20-something movies of all time. And I love Old Boy. And I love um, pretty much most of his movies. Uh, Stoker, I think, is good, but not great. I really like everything else he's ever done. And this movie really did not disappoint. It is a very um, high-stakes um actually like kind of in like maddingly impressively made um film um in terms of its transitions like in its cinematography um so many uh camera movements um and transitions from one scene to the next um transitions using heart monitors and um, fish and everything and you know binoculars from going from one location to the next and just like this the way they shot the scene in a very you know different lenses and everything it's actually like one of the most like intricately directed films I've seen in quite a long time um Parker really amped the directing here up from a lot of his previous works. Um, 
and it, it, it's a film very much like tar and banshees where there's a lot of symbolism there's a lot to really dissect um i have said before on another podcast that i think this movie is uh, a lot about gaslighting <laughs> um and i think um a lot of that is shown in between the this relationship between um park Gail and uh, tong Wei, and um you know, you, you you want to talk about a lot of best actress snubs, you know, <laughs> between Violet Davis and Danielle Deadweiler. Um, also, Tong Wei, who, I mean, she plays multiple character, multiple personas as the same character. Um, almost in, in a weirdly similar way to, like, you know, Janelle Monet and, like, Glass Onion. But in my opinion, she does it even better. And, like, she just is a fully um like she's not just a mysterious character for people to like kind of simp over she has like so much um depth uh to the character in terms of um you know this film's themes of you know certain things like longing and you know regrets and like you know how far do you go in certain in certain respects i can't really talk about the themes much without spoiling the movie and this is a movie where if you haven't seen the movie then like i do not suggest um knowing much about it going into it because it is you know a very kind of twisty movie um, in that way, it reminds me in some ways of uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's film Cure. Um, it reminds me a lot of uh, Hitchcock's film, specifically Vertigo. Um, the way I pitch this to people is that it is uh, Vertigo meets Phantom Thread. Um, make of that what you will. Um, and it is... Uh, a truly masterfully made film. And uh, the performance, of course, by uh, Park Gael is um, also another great performance. He, he, he's more than just the, the straight man detective, um, you know, much like uh, Jimmy Stewart in, in Vertigo, to keep with the, you know, the Vertigo comparison. It's a, it's a very like kind, you know, but also in a, in a similar way to Jimmy Stewart, he is a very kind of, um, a desperate performance in a lot of ways the writing allows for him to go deeper with the character and i think it's done in a way that is um that, that makes the story more thematically rich and yeah just you know absolutely insane um work going on here and I mean, you want to talk about like editing achievements because there were a lot of great editing achievements this year. I, this is like, I mean, between this and another movie I'm about, I'm about to talk about later, a movie that a lot of us are going to talk about later, um, was like the editing achievement of the year. I mean, my God, <laughs> just like truly incredible, incredible, incredible work on the part of the editor who's who I believe has worked with Park on all of his other films too. I don't 
I don't know his name off the top of my head. Um, da, 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 look this up. Um, uh, Kim Song Byung. And yes, he has edited Old Boy and The Handmaiden. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you can't, um, you just can't go wrong here with the <laughs> with this movie it is truly like you know one of the most brilliantly um crafted movies of the year and uh you know some people in the academy are going to need to uh be prosecuted at the hague for their crimes here just saying Um, so that uh, that's my number three of the year, and it's also Lester's number three of the year. So um, yeah, there we go. Um, anyway, we're moving on to number two here uh, with uh, with Jared here. So Jared, take it away. Okay, um, Ashitaka's number two of the year is Puss in Boots: The Last Wish, and he writes my new vote for 2022's equivalent to Into the Spider-Verse, another movie that had no right going as hard as it did. This is a film I have absolutely nothing but the highest praise for. One of the few movies I'd potentially label as perfect. Um, Brett's number two is Everything Everywhere All at Once. And he writes, I love the fact that the Daniels were able to get this movie made. This is a triumph of a movie bringing together the surrealist humor of Adult Swim existential themes of Charlie Kaufman and the humanity of a Frank Capra picture. Of course I loved it. Uh, and then my number two is um, After Sun, directed by Charlotte Wells. Um, I am a guy who loves um, like little details in movies that I can pick and be like, ah, oh, that's cool how it affects that and whatnot. And so After Sun was a movie just chock full of details that if you're able to get into the rhythm and the environment that Charlotte's providing of this father-daughter vacation to this resort, um, you're in for an emotional treat. Um, the Paul Mesco Oscar nomination is going to age like the finest wine ever made because he's so, so good in his role. And shout out to Frankie Corio, who is just amazing as this daughter who thinks she understands what her dad is going through, maybe doesn't, all while framed in this and her older version, looking back at these memories. Um, the film just feels so unique in that structure of do we really know our parents and tackling these themes of what do we miss out on um, and from our past and 
that our parents are human just like us with their own kind of struggles. Um, and just every single praise you've hearing for this movie is well-deserved. Um, it's just emotional and I just appreciate every single thing about this movie. Um, it really does stay with you and it just also delivers a masterclass and how to do like a perfect needle drop. You will hear everyone and their mothers talk about how they'll never listen to under pressure um, the same way again. But I know George wrote on his letterbox about um, the REM losing my religion also being a good song choice for the um, movie that you should definitely check out and read because I agree with all his points he made there. Um, yeah. Emotional A24 masterpiece led by our next big movie star, Paul Mescal. Check it out. Absolutely. All right, Tristan, up to you now. All right, my number two um, is a film that when I first saw was actually, it was my number one. And then I, I was switching back and forth my number one and my number two for a while. And I realized there's no movie that should you know, take my number one spot other than the film that I decided to pick. Um, but my number two is pretty great too. And it's uh, it's Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. Um, I love Steven Spielberg. I believe most people do. Um, he's like the quintessential filmmaker. A lot of us uh, who are really into film got into film partly because of Steven Spielberg's movies and, and um, his approach that he took to making family movies and and you know breathing life into them and, and really creating movie magic and you know going through Spielberg's filmography he's made so many different kinds of movies and has had success in with like most of them like he he's he's made family movies but he's also made you know real serious dramas and he um he's an incredible filmmaker who who has really had a lot of um, success over a long period of time. And having, you know, followed his career, it's really exciting to see a film where he um, looks back at, at uh, what got him into film in the first place and um, the experiences that he had as a child and, you know, finding his passion for the medium. And unlike a, a lot of films in the same vein, like Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, I feel like it's not just, um, and not just Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, but a lot of other films like that. Uh, I don't want to single that movie out because I like it. But um, The Fablemans, it goes a lot deeper than you'd expect. It's not just... Um, it's not just like pure nostalgia. It, it also um, really goes into how films can blur into reality and and um, and the dangers of of falling um, right into your passion and and it's just a, a really brilliant um, look at his childhood and why film is so important and it's it's great it's it's a beautiful movie i really connected to it 
love the performances. Gabriel Labelle, I think, is um, a star in the making and really uh, think it's one of Spielberg's best films, if not his best. And I know that's a hot take, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> it well said, though. Well said. I, I, I um, Thank you. I don't like it personally as much as West Side Story, but like, I mean, I gave the movie a nine. It was in my honorable mentions. So like, you know, I'm not really, um, you know, I can't really disagree with what you said there. Um, so anyway, um, <laughs> uh, Jasmine, um, you're number two. Oh, seeing all these movies that you guys have on like, you're like top 10, but I don't even think I'm like my top 20. <laughs> For diverse opinions. Uh, um, my number two is a movie that actually premiered at Cam a really long time ago. Yeah, Cam. Really? Yeah. 2021, I think. I think a really long time ago at this point. Um, We're thinking the same film, right? Yeah, my number two is After Yang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was Can. It was Can. Koganata is one of like my favorite like new filmmakers right now. He's made two movies, and he's one of my favorite directors. It's like Greta Gerwig, but like first of all, his movies are gorgeous to look at. They're beautiful his the cinematography and the production design of his movies are like absolutely excellent all of the shot choices and the way like the minimalistic style is so so thought out and really fits the style of movie he's trying to make but after yang fun fact is my colin farrell performance of choice sorry banshees of inisherin um but uh, the themes that Afriang talk about, specifically about identity, um, uh, really, really speak to me for very, very personal reasons that I don't really want to get into. But um, yeah, the way it tackles identity and kind of tackles like, um, like uh, this idea of like, this family member coming in and then like this like robot coming into their lives and having this whole other life before he he came to them um but yeah i really really uh deeply resonated with this one for very personal reasons um i understand like um his movies aren't for everyone because they are very quiet and they're very slow and contemplative you have to have a lot of patience for his movies but um if you like really digged columbus which is one of my favorite movies of all time then you're like probably definitely gonna like daffy it's very kind of similar in like style and tone so yeah beautiful beautiful movie also Haley Lou Richardson is also great in this small set of role like she had in um she was also in Columbus so yeah fantastic movie very underrated which is yeah, uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it was an honorable was, uh, mention for me I think it's a really excellent film uh it's my number Seventeen of the Hello. year. Hello, my number two of one hundred forty-nine. Listen, my level. As 
I mean, as I said earlier, I gave 50 movies an 8 out of 10 or above. 50. Like, I mean... I get it. Yeah, I've seen 149 movies from, from last year. It's really hard narrowing them down. Well, I guess it's, uh, it, it, it's pure coincidence that it's my turn because um, it just turned 12 a.m. CST on March the 2nd which means it is officially my 22nd birthday. Happy I'm, birthday. I'm Happy birthday. 22. Not your birthday here yet. Let's no. sing it. <laughs> no. Oh my Christ. I don't you, know about you. You can sing it, but I'm not going to. Um, 22. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll put it into the, um, <laughs> we'll put it into the, into the podcast, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm 22. And twenty two. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I'll move on to my second favorite film of the year. Um, very quickly, Lester's number two is um, RRR, which was in my honorable mentions. It was on Tristan's list. Um, RRR is my number thirteen. It was close, but it um, it missed the cut because I just like other films better. Um, nothing against it. Um, RRR eventually. My number two of the year, though, like Jared, is uh, is After Sun. I oh my god, I saw this movie before everyone else here did. I got to see it in July, a couple months after the Cannes premiere, and uh, I. Um, I think, um, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, I think this is really good, but I'm not really sure where it's going. And it wasn't until the movie had ended and I was, I was sitting with it after that it, 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 it hit me and it all clicked with me. And um, I was like, oh my goodness. And in the times I've thought about it since, and I've also watched it again um, recently um, following um, the Oscar nomination for Paul Meskel, which I think is probably the most inspired acting nomination of the past five years, along with Giulietta um, Fritzio and uh, Marina de Tavira for, for Roma. Um, just a really fantastic nomination. Um, I've kind of realized that this movie is essentially made to look like a memory because in many ways it is a memory for the director, Charlotte Wells. Um, <laughs> I she said in her, her Baptist speech for a British debut um, that it is in a lot of people, it is often seen as a eulogy for her father, um, and in a lot of ways, it very much is. Um, seeing the real life photos of of a young Charlotte Wells and her father, uh, compared with Frankie Corio and Paul Mescal, I mean, it's 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 truly unca uncanny um, the resemblance there. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's another one of those like 
you know, movies where you're you're searching through um like you know like the main character Sophie is pouring over her memories of her father trying to figure out trying to think think through like why like who was the man I thought I knew and who was the man he really was and um I think the way that the film handles this is is brilliant and I think it resonates with me because it's something that I think um a lot of us have done with our own family um families I should say um It, it, it is um it, it's not a dense movie it's it's not a movie that really takes a lot of thinking to fully understand but it's still a movie that really hits you and on a repeat viewing there's a lot of things you pick up on in the film that you wouldn't notice the first time um Jared um, referenced my most recent letterbox log of it, where I talk about the uh, losing my religion um, needle drop. I mean, listen to the lyrics of that song. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight, losing my religion. I think I thought I saw you try. That is the, um, the film. Like that song is basically the film um, where it's, you know, Sophie is talking about like, I think I thought I saw this is the man who Sophie thought she knew. The man who Sophie thought she saw. Um, <clears throat> And, you know, that's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight, losing my religion. That's her basically being lost in the memories of this man. And, of course, you know, the actual meaning of that song, what that song is actually about is, of course, it's actually about, um, you know, someone who's pining after um, one of his exes who doesn't want him anymore. Um, but in the context of the film, it's used in a way where like she, like Sophie cannot truly understand her father. Um, and it's, uh, in that way, it is a very heartbreaking and devastating film um, that not only when I watched the movie, but upon thinking about the movie has made me shed, I think gallons of tears. Um, I, I, I cannot, um, yeah, I, I really th think this film is a masterpiece. Um, and, you know, I love the nomination for Paul Meskel. Um, Frankie Corio also deserved to be nominated as well as uh, Charlotte Wells. Um, it, 
like I mean seriously just what are the people not nominating her doing um I don't I don't understand this um and, and of course you know the under pressure needle drop um I remember <laughs> just going in there after I saw the movie for the first time into the chat and saying look you guys are never going to listen to Under Pressure in the same way ever again. It's just not going to happen. And I have to, like, I, I can only imagine what people thought I meant when I, when I said that. And that being radically different from what they actually got in the film. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I so many people have said enough about the movie already. It's the second most acclaimed movie. Well, it's the most acclaimed movie since Parasite. And everyone is, so many people have written think pieces about it, talking about how much of a masterpiece it is. And I, I don't think I need to go any further into that. So yeah, After Sun is my number two of the year. And now we, we get to number one. Although I think three of us have the same number one. There's going to be a lot of overlap. We'll talk, we'll yeah. talk about the same movie. Conveniently, though, the one of us who does not have the same number one is uh, is Jared. So very convenient for us that he's <laughs> that he's the first one here. Yes. Um. So <laughs> starting off with, um, Ashi Takas number one is Drumroll, Drifting Home. And he writes, I debated myself for a long time whether Puss in Boots or Drifting Home was my number one. I think about Puss in Boots more often, yet whether it actually try to move it to number one, it just doesn't feel right. I think Puss in Boots simply stands up more and is easier to look back on, given how it's always, everyone's always talking about it. However, I adore Drifting Home. It's everything I love about Pixar and Studio Ghibli, wrapped up in the film about learning to let go and move on. It may or may not it may or may not be yet another movie must slap with a 6 out of 10, but for me, it's my favorite movie of 2022. And it's going to get buried in the Netflix algorithm by stuff like Big Mouth. Um, so definitely check that out on Netflix if you're an animation fan like Ashitaka. It sounds like a cool time. For Brett's number one, it is The Fablemans. And he writes... I know the joke for every movie is this is my Joker, but that's how I felt watching this movie. It directly called me out in so many ways and says some profound things about film that helped me contextualize why I've grown so attached to the art form. A very special film for me. And then I had to piggyback off that because my number one film was also The Fablemans. Um, it's Steven Spielberg um, who I love and adore and he brings that kind of cinematic wonder that we've known for him, E.T., Jaws, and all that, and Sif shines a light on his family. Um, it's it's semi-autobiographical um, about this kid who is coming of age while also grappling with a family secret. And, um, and then um, learning how to become the Steven Spielberg. Um, I just, it's just, yeah, it's weird when you have so much love for a movie and it's like where you start without taking three hours long. But um, I, I do have to make the point whenever I talk about this movie that Gabriel LaBelle, 
um, best actor nomination should have happened, but it just sucks that people can't recognize like young actors and <laughs> and all that jazz, and that Paul Dana was indeed robbed. But we have to take pride in the positives that Michelle um, Williams and Judd Hirsch recognize, even though Judd Hirsch only has one scene, whereas Paul Dano shows his magnificence in every single scene he's in all throughout the movie. That's um, the wrong category. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's just, you could tell that this was um, like a lot of films we've kind of seen this year in the past couple of years, like a director's realization during COVID, like, oh, I very much could die. The whole world could die. Let me make this story. If it's my last, let it be this one. Kind of feel, kind of, it does feel a little bit like a mic drop, but luckily <laughs> Spielberg seems to be making more movies as long as he's alive. Um, we're very thankful for that. Um, but yeah, it just, I'm just in so in love with this movie and what it does. Um, the coming of age aspects, the way it is about film and like, ooh, love the film. Like you might think in a movie like Empire of Light does, but this one actually takes that comp set and um, recontextualizes it to something maybe even a little bit darker than you would imagine for a film like this in terms of the unintentional effects um, it could cause and how it just completely holds and changes um, this young boy Sammy's life forever. Um, I mean, there's a scene where um, this very, not to spoil anything, but this very dramatic moment happens in the family and there's like a hard cut to a scene where it's him trying to how he would film this very emotional, dramatic scene. And it's, so the movie kind of hits of, maybe he also has a curse of like wanting to make film and art. Um, but just just an outstanding movie. Um, every single, the acting, the cinematography is a 10 out of 10. Um, this is just such a great year for movies. Um, my top five, um, well, we'll probably stay the same in terms of if you look at my box list, if you ask me tomorrow, I could have everything everywhere all at once. Like, my top five is, I feel like, are very held in high regard. Um, and so, thank you for film, for 2022 film. Thank you for everyone who listened to us. And here's to 2023 and Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah, our, our, our can premiere, um, Barbie. Yeah. I cannot believe that. I'm so hyped. That means Warner Bros. Hey, you know what? Mad Max, has... Mad Max um, premiered at Can. Mad Max Fury Road. Maybe I'll get can, to see so. it at, uh, I might get to see it at Can. Oh my gosh, you gotta tell us everything if you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hold you at gunpoint. Um, okay. Well, um, uh, Jasmine, um, Tristan, uh, you two and I all have the same number one, as well as Lester, might I add. <laughs> the four of us all have the same 
number one movie of the year. Let's just get it out of the way. Let's say it. One, two, three. More videos. Everything, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Morbin time, baby. Minions as a group the best movie of your come on, guys. Okay, no. Um so as Tristan said, the four of us all share the favorite movie of the year, Everything Everywhere All at Once by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert of Swiss Army Man fame. I look, <laughs> it's a very <laughs> basic opinion. I mean, this is a very basic opinion. <laughs> every pretty much everyone on film Twitter has this as a number one movie of the year. But like, I would be lying to you if I said this was not one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It's a pretty good movie. <laughs> it's an okay movie, I guess. <laughs> it's okay. I I like. I I I've literally never seen a film like it where it is all just it, it bombards you with really wacky kind of silly um concepts um uh regarding you know like hot dog fingers and you know you get rocks with googly eyes and you know people doing kung fu pipe uh fighting with candles up their asses um like you know, and it's a multiverse film as well. It's a frantic movie. Um, people kind of call it the the uh, the Reddit movie, but it it simultaneously has genuine themes about uh, nihilism, about acceptance, about um, you know generational divide, um, you know, f- you know, fully accepting your life and just who who you are and the situation you're in and you know as the movie puts it nothing matters um in a very positive way that is and i mean the way that that they just pull it off is just so creative and interesting it's legitimately one of the most creative movies i've ever seen in my entire life and I mean, everything about the film from its editing to its writing, to its direction, to its performances, to its stunt choreography, to even, you know, so far as its costume design with everything Jibu Tupaki is, um, is, is wearing. I really um, don't know how they pulled it off, um, to be honest. It is a very, um, I have to imagine, this is a very big risk to to pull off and everything fell into place and it just worked and uh i mean there's a reason why so many people just connect with it even beyond all the you know cartoony um action sequences and you know characters is because it is actually like legitimately meaningful in so many ways and you know, as much as I love a lot of these esoteric picks, like, I mean, Happening, Return to Soul, All the Meeting the Bludge that are all in my top 10, this movie is able to have those very highbrow, like, 
themes that people you know think about in movies but also is you know but has just a, a facade of like you know toilet humor and it's done brilliantly and then the humor is even like cringe it all works really well at least in my opinion it does I feel like you like covered up. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really have that much more to add. Um, Great movie. This, yeah, it's genuinely one of the most creative films I think we've ever seen, and it really is a a masterpiece. Um, that that's a word that like you know I don't like to throw around too often. But it's it's a stone cold classic. It it really is, and it's going to influence the next generation of filmmakers. And it's it's amazing. Absolutely. You guys have like basically said it. Great movie. I'm I'm sorry. I was not <laughs> keeping track of of time. But you know what? I get to use no, my <laughs> I get to use my birthday as an excuse. So you know you can't you can't you know I, I'm I'm I am not liable anymore. Um, That's the right. way it tackles mother daughter relationships. Very well done. They always get me with that. The mother daughter relationships in the end. All right. One well, of Jared's yeah. favorite movies. Um, that has one of the best scenes of the year because Sammy Fableman did go to the social network school of acting. It's <laughs> 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 only one of the best scenes of the year. Uh, I love it becomes that just scene. as iconic as the social network scene because <laughs> it deserves to be. Anyway, continue. Great scene. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that concludes it for our our big list here. Um, is been a really, um, honestly, really great year for films. But I, I mean, I I I am of the opinion that every year is great for movies. You just have to seek them out and you know go beyond blockbuster cinema and also you know Oscar the Oscars. Um, I do the Death Race every year. I watch every movie that gets nominated for an Oscar, but. I still go out of my way to watch more films because, you know, if I didn't do that, then I would always come here and say, oh, it wasn't really a great year for movies, blah, 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 blah. But that, that, that's simply just not the case. You just have to seek them out. And, you know, that's what I really like um, doing every year um, with these, with these films. So, um, yeah, I would say this is a very a really good year for film, and um, I I absolutely um, recommend those and even a lot of the movies that weren't on my list that were you know even close that um, um, didn't quite make that my top ten like Nope and RRR and All Quiet on the Western Front and EO and Marcel the Shell just you know everyone go watch Elvis. No, <laughs> that 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 one you can skip. That one you can skip. Everyone, go watch Elvis and make it your favorite movie. <laughs> um, that'll do it. And then the next episode. 
is is what is what the, everything has been building to. Everything has led to this um, our final Oscar predictions episode. Oh no! Oh god! Oh yeah. no! <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we're just getting the fun out of the way first. I mean, you know, we'll cover SAG in that episode, you know. Um, insert the clip of uh, Emily Blunt announcing Jimmy Lee Curtis in here because God almighty. Um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to us ramble about movies we like for two hours. And uh, yeah. See you guys next time for Chaos.